Father, as we think about what we just sang, and we think about the joy and the peace, the love and the hope that we have in Christ, and then we think about how far we fall short of that and how we don't portray that to other people, or when we do, it looks fake. Forgive us. And we pray that you would change us tonight because you are worthy of us at our best, and yet our best is not anywhere near where we really ought to be. Father, we die to self. We ask you to live through us. Give us listening ears tonight. Give us tender hearts. Give us minds that can comprehend and a will to obey what your word says. And bless us tonight that you might be greater glorified in us in all situations. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I uh, want you to turn to the book of Philippians tonight. Uh, we reference this passage this morning. So uh, if you would uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look eventually at verses uh, 4 through 7. And I have heard a lot of messages over the course of my Christian life, which has been a long time now, like it has been for some of you. A lot of messages about the peace of God, how to attain it, how to get it, what we have to do to experience that in our lives. And so I'm not going to tell you how to do that tonight. I'm going to ask you some questions. And the question is basically going to be, why don't you have it then? We all have heard these messages. We've taken notes. We've got tapes and CDs and all kinds of things about it. But very few Christians really experience this. In fact, most Christians seem to be at a state of high anxiety and uh, that's not the way the Lord wants us to live. Back in the 80s, Steve Camp, in his song, Stranger to Holiness, he said, Oh God, why is your peace so hard to find? And the answers to the questions that haunt my mind. Oh Lord, your ways are not like mine, and it pounds like thunder in my chest. Oh, the anger of my humanness. And though I call you Lord, I must confess, I'm a stranger to your holiness. And that's the same thing that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 7. And we know that everybody, every Christian, no matter how great, holy, sanctified you may be, there are those times when you don't experience the peace that God wants you to have. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. That doesn't sound like a peaceful statement, does it? Doesn't sound calm, doesn't sound anything except frustrated. And he talks about doing the things that he hates and uh, you, you remember all of that? And then he says that the things that I uh, want to do, I don't do. And the things that I hate to do, I do. And he said, who shall deliver me from this? And he said that uh, the only hope that he had in there is what we sang about. And that is the deliverance that comes through Christ. And so uh, I'll just say straight off, really the bottom line in anything that we do, whether it's answered prayer whether it is our, our spiritual warfare or whether it might be even experiencing the peace of God. Isn't it true that it really all boils down to this and that is holiness? If we would just live holy under the Lordship of Christ in obedience to the Word of God, so many of the things we wrestle with would not be able to get a hold of us and uh, would not be able to dominate us or to distract us or any of those things. But uh, because none of us are perfect and because we all struggle and we stumble in many ways, 
we uh, have to stop and think about this. So I'm going to ask the question, why don't I have the peace of God? Why not? What's wrong? What's happened? And uh, what's going on? And I want you to look in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, in that fourth chapter, there are a lot of things. He addresses Euodia and Syntyche. Our pastor growing up called, it, called her soon touchy. And uh, calls for them to get together. But that was a word to individuals. That really wasn't for the church. That was for them. And it seems as though the word to the church resumes in uh, chapter 4 verse 4. And what does he jump into? And remember he's talking to Philippian believers who have some turmoil in their church, some disunity in their church, and they have a lot of persecution. That's where Paul was put in prison after he and Silas had been beaten, and it was an unjust prison sentence. That's where they're in great pain and agony and chained in the inner part of the prison, and yet they begin to sing praises to the Lord. The prisoners hear them, the earthquake takes place, and the Philippian jailer gets saved. And they have to leave town, but... As a result of their ministry there, a church is formed. And um, he tells this church in chapter 4, verse 4, In spite of your circumstances, what do you do? Rejoice in the Lord. Then he adds this word, always. That doesn't leave you much wiggle room. That doesn't leave you any um, loopholes to get out of that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now you can't always rejoice in your circumstances, but you can always rejoice in the Lord. How important is it? Well, he repeats it just in case you didn't get it. And again, I will say rejoice. Then he says, let your, the King James says moderation, um, gentleness. We'll talk about that word in just a moment. Let it be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. It's talking about his coming, his presence and his judgment. And then it says, Be anxious or worried for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, oh, these two words are the killer, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says, And, in other words, as a result of these things, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, translation, like I said this morning, peace which doesn't make any sense, is unexpected, and um, uh, it will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And that word guard there means to stand like a sentry. Can you picture that here you are in a hostile world, and you've got your armor on, and you're walking the best you know how, and the peace of God as you're being attacked, you don't fall apart, you don't lose your cool, you don't abandon your faith or anything like that because there are sentries there that are guarding you and it's the peace that passes understanding. Wouldn't that be nice? In every situation, to get some bad news, the sentries keep you from just completely losing it and falling apart and acting sometimes like a pagan. We act as though all of our hope is gone. We act as though our world has fallen apart. We act as though God has fallen off of the throne. And maybe some of those things are the reasons why we are losing 
a younger generation. They haven't seen anything real or genuine in our life. They saw us worship at church, but that worship didn't seem to carry on when the bad news came or when bad circumstances came into our life. And maybe the early church, maybe they were so successful because in the midst of their persecution and tough circumstances, they were able to keep focused and keep loving and uh, honoring and following the Lord. And it was something that the world couldn't overcome. And they certainly couldn't explain it because it was peace that surpasses understanding or human reasoning. And so maybe we need to uh, have a dose of, of what it is that they have. So why can't I seem to attain this and hold on to it? And the first thing will be because of selective rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord, and this is where that key word is, always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, a lot of us, we say, well, I'll rejoice when I have something to rejoice about. Um, it's kind of the reverse thing of maybe what your parents said to you, never understood this. When they're spanking you, they say, stop crying or I'll, what? Give you something to cry about. That never made sense to me. I'm crying because you're beating on me. You know, and maybe if you would stop that, maybe I would quit crying. But, uh, uh, you know, things like that never seem to make any sense, especially to a little kid. It's like when they tell you, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Okay, well, then let's trade places. I wanted to say that one time, but I didn't dare. And uh, that, that would have been tough. You remember those things like that that don't seem to make sense. Well, when we look at this situation and we see here that uh, we, we say to the Lord, maybe not verbally, but we say in our spirit and we say by the way we act, we read things like this and we say, well, I don't have anything to rejoice about. I mean, if you knew my life, I mean, think about maybe your life is kind of like Job's. I don't have anything to rejoice about. I've lost loved ones. I've, uh, my job stinks and there are different situations and relationships I can't fix and I can't put them back together. I've got sickness. I've got all kinds of turmoil in my life. But Paul didn't say rejoice in your cancer, for example. He said rejoice in the Lord. And there's always something to rejoice about in the Lord and you don't have to wait until you feel like it you don't have to wait until it hits you or the spirit moves you or anything this is a command that you're supposed to uh, follow out and he didn't even ask you wait until you feel like it wait till you're sincere this is just something that is an automatic kind of like a discipline or a duty or a following of orders when you're in the military and they tell you to do guard duty you say well I'll, I'll show up when I feel like it when I'm motivated uh, that would be terrible. When you're getting off of the ship at uh, uh, the uh, transport at Normandy and there's machine gun fire from the Germans coming after you and you've been commanded to get off to uh, disembark and to go and run toward the beach. Well, I'll, you know, when I get motivated, when I feel like it, when circumstances are a little more favorable, well, then I'll do it. You, you wouldn't dare do anything like that. And uh, this is the same way. How can we... Take what the Lord has done for us. So much He has done for us. We are blessed people, according to the book of Ephesians. We're super blessed. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Far beyond what we deserve. 
and yet we have trouble rejoicing, and we have trouble rejoicing especially in the Lord. So your circumstances may stink, but the Lord is always sweet, and He's always good. He's always with you, and the command here is to rejoice in the Lord, and the word there ought to just kind of stick into our minds. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now does anybody do that? perfectly does anybody do that a hundred percent of the time i guarantee you we don't and our sin nature we think we deserve better than what we've gotten we think that maybe if god would do something great for me i'll reward him with praise uh did you ever watch scooby-doo anybody and you remember what scooby-doo would get every once in a while a scooby snack I feel like sometimes as Christians, we offer praise, thanksgiving, and rejoicing to the Lord, and we do it more as a scooby snack for Him. It's a reward because He has done what we wanted Him to do. Good boy. Good boy. Does that sound blasphemous? It is. And yet, that's exactly what we do. I'll wait until God behaves properly behaves like I expect him to and then I'll give him praise and then I'll rejoice Paul says no 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 not at all this is it rejoice in the Lord always in case you missed it and again I say rejoice now remember repetition in Bible times was like putting everything in bold print and large font and underlining it, maybe even italicizing it so you don't miss it, you can't go past it. This is important to Paul. This is going to be a key in the Philippians' life because in a human sense, they didn't have much to rejoice over. They didn't have much. You've got a whole lot more to rejoice over than they would ever have. Life was hard for these people. Persecution was tough for these people. And uh, here they are supposed to be evangelists for the Lord, witnesses for Christ in the midst of all of this. And you know their flesh was saying, and assisted by the enemy, you know, what do you have to praise God for? Look what he's done for you. Your life was really, really good before you became a Christian. Now look at what you were going through. Look how people are treating you. Look how your income has dropped. Look how you're being, your business is being boycotted. Look at the rebellion that's in your children. Look at all of these things that are going on. What do you have to rejoice about? And even if you did, what would everybody, all your friends and your relatives and the people in your town say? They would look and say, what are you doing that for? You have no reason to do it. You're a fool. And that's why, you know, Paul makes a statement in this particular book. I'm a fool for Christ's sake. And I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. Whose fool are you? And uh, that really is a good question. And so when we look at these things, we, we have every compulsion to say, well, it would be fake. It would be ineffective. People could see right through it, except for one thing, we are to obey the Lord. And you remember the... Uh, uh, prophet Samuel told King Saul to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the Lord is better than offering the fat of rams. And we don't understand this is not about making sense to the world. This is about pleasing God. This is about having a testimony of faith in God, giving glory to God even in our deepest, darkest situations, in the worst of circumstances. We still love God. We still hold fast to His unchanging hand. And our anchor, as the old hymn says, still holds within the veil. Our anchor goes up 
into the holy of holies that is in heaven. And we've got to give testimony of that. And we start off by just doing it, not because we feel like it or because circumstances merit it, but doing it just simply because it is commanded twice in this one verse, one right after another. This is the way we are supposed to live in the Christian life. And I think a lot of us are waiting for just this big bucket of joy to be dumped all over us and then something happens and then we rejoice in the Lord. And yet Paul is telling people here, these beleaguered believers in this situation, don't wait until things get better because they may not. Don't wait until you feel like it because you may not. Rejoice in the Lord and do it always and again, I say rejoice. So the first thing we see is we'll never experience the peace of God that we long for and that we want to have if we have selective rejoicing. I'll rejoice whenever you act right. I'll rejoice when I feel like it. We've been over all that, so I won't reiterate it any more than that. Number two, we miss out on the peace of God because so many believers are out of control. Their reactions just boom, they're just a powder keg ready to blow up. And so when the enemy strikes a match, boom, here we go. And nobody knows what to expect out of us. Are you going to be the kind person? Are you going to be the reasonable person? Or are you going to be the person that just blows up? How do they know what to expect? And I think that when it comes to uh, raising children, I think a lot of times the biggest problem is not the method of discipline we we use. I've seen some people that were uh, kind of, in my opinion, liberal in the way that they raised their children, and yet their children turned out fine. I've seen some others that were rather rigid and harsh, and their children turned out fine. And as I've looked over that over the years, I've seen some others where uh, it, it didn't go quite so well. And one of the things I would encourage you in if you're raising children is whatever it is you do, be consistent. Be consistent. Don't make your children guess how you're going to react. They, they ought to kind of have a pretty good idea as to what dad is going to say, what he's going to think, and what he's going to do, and how he's going to react to their disobedience or something like that. And the same thing would be true for mama, where they're not just kind of saying, well, last time nothing happened, so maybe I can get away with it this time. I think that fosters a lot of insecurity and rebellion. Just work on consistency more than anything else. Well, what do you suppose happens whenever we're in this battle, we're in this warfare, we're in the army of God, and there are sometimes when temptation comes, when trials come, uh, things like that that hit us out of the blue. And there are those times when we seem to uh, respond in a, in a good way, a holy way. And then maybe the next time they tempt us, we, uh, I mean, foul language comes out of our mouth. Angry thoughts dominate our hearts. Uh, we have, we're filled with doubt, we're filled with fear, we're fe filled with anger. We uh, are resentful toward God as to why we're being treated this way. And we just throw up our hands and we give up. We throw off our armor, we drop our weapons, and we say, this isn't for me, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, my thing would be this. Let the enemy know where you stand and keep standing there. Let them know that whatever they do, 
You are going to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you're going to follow him. And let your testimony be not so much what people say, but think about this. Let it be what the enemy says when they report back on you. Can you imagine? There are some believers that the demons assigned to them report back and they say, how's it going with Mr. Smith or whoever it might be? And uh, this demon says, piece of cake. Piece of cake. We got him right where we want him. In fact, you could send somebody of lower rank to take care of him. He's so easy. But wouldn't it be better if we were so walking in the Spirit, rejoicing in the Lord, and we were so consistent in these things because we believe that God is sovereign, not just on Sundays in church, not just whenever we read a certain verse of Scripture, but in the details of our life, we believe that God is sovereign. What do I have? What do I not have? What, is the thi- what, what are the things going on in my life? What are the things I wish would happen? What, what, all of those things. If we approach those, we're rejoicing. And we also said, I have what God wants me to have. I am where God wants me to be. And I'm experiencing what God wants me to experience. And he's not doing it out of anger. He's doing it out of love to make me to be the person that I'm supposed to be. Someone came up to uh, Charles Spurgeon. They said, oh, if I, I would be a better preacher and a better pastor if I had the thousands of people that you have coming to hear me preach. And uh, Spurgeon looked at that preacher who was a pastor of a small church and he said, sir, he goes, I've got a feeling you have as many people as you would like to be accountable to God for. The Lord knows what we're capable of. The Lord knows what we can handle. The Lord knows where we can be and we're not to uh, despise the small things or the things that don't match up with our expectations and with our will. So how is it that you can be in church and somebody can come up to you and they can say something rude to you and you don't cuss them out? How can it be that somebody in church can ignore you, they cannot speak to you and it hurts your feelings and it cuts deeply and yet you don't call them out. You don't say anything about it. You just let it go. And even when somebody else says, well, that was rude, I'm going to go see them. No, 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 just, just leave it alone. It really doesn't matter. Now, how is it we can do that in here, but we can't do that with our wife or our husband or our children? How is it that we can do that in here, but we can't do it in traffic? What, what's going on? And that's one of the reasons we don't have the peace of God. Our anger, our emotions, all of those things are just completely out of control. And so we worded it like this, out of control reactions. Paul said, let your gentleness. The word gentleness is one of the hardest Greek words to translate. And that's why almost every translation has something a little bit different. But uh, with everything I read, I kind of summed it up like this. Let your um, appropriate response be known to all men. You know, there are some times when in the Bible, Jesus would get angry. And there were a lot of times when he didn't. How do you know what to do? How do you know what the situation is? And the idea is uh, the way you respond needs to fit the situation, but always under control. Anytime you have anything, even if your uh, response to something is something we would say is right. I mean, you're turning over uh, in the temple tables of of the money changers and that kind of thing like Jesus did. Except when you do it, you're out of control. You have just lost it. 
And Jesus, when he did it, he was in perfect control and had a perfectly good reason for turning them over. My Father's house, it is written, shall be a house of prayer. And you have made it anything but that and made it a den of thieves. Uh, that's a little different than just, it just makes me so mad. And I don't, you know, later on you go, I don't know what I was thinking. How many of those, I don't know what I was thinking moments do you have during a week? How many of the, I couldn't help it, I just lost it, I just flew apart on that? How many of those kind of things do you have? Well, that's not going to give you the peace that passes understanding. That is demonic, it's fleshly. In fact, when we read in Galatians chapter 5, Verses 19 through 23, uh, the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Now look at this. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and then just in case we go well I didn't do any of those he goes and things like these and what he is talking about here is something other and someone other than the Holy Spirit controlling us in our situation God by his sovereignty has led your steps to this situation and he also supplies himself and his spirit as the power to deal with that and so we need to know the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know I'm operating in the Spirit? Well, the Bible goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, same word, appropriateness is what that means. And then the next word is self-control. Did you know self-control is evidence of walking with God, evidence of being filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so anytime you say, I just couldn't help it, you're lying. You could, if you're a believer, you just chose not to because you wanted to let the flesh dominate instead of walking in the Spirit. God gave you Himself as your control in everything that goes on, no matter who it is or what it is. And so whenever we have these just reactionary blowing up and getting angry and all of these things that, that come our way, uh, first of all, we don't give a good testimony before the enemy or before people. And then secondly, we don't bring glory to God. And thirdly, we don't experience the peace that passes understanding. That's why the Bible says put away anger and uh, all of those kind of things. Because the wrath of man, the Bible says, does not produce the righteousness of God. And we reap what we sow, and what we sow is not very pleasant, and it's certainly not very calm or not very peaceful. Where is your peace? Why is it so hard to find? Because we're disobedient, that's why. Okay, think about that. Number three, why don't I experience the peace of God? Well, because I've got time, plenty of time, plenty of time to get around to glorifying God. It's not exactly what's on the screen, but you understand what I'm saying? That what I'm doing right now is more important to me than what God has commanded me to do. One of these days, I'll get around to it. One of these days, I'm going to apply that. One of these days, I'm going to get to that, what I know what the Lord wants me to be. And so the Lord gives them, uh, Paul, pardon me, Paul gives them the reminder, the Lord is at hand. When we say the Lord is at hand, 
What does that mean? Probably it's making a reference to the fact that he's coming again. But it also could be making reference to the fact that he is present all the time. You know, some of those things you control so well when you're at church, but you don't control so well when you're in traffic or when you're at home. Let me tell you, the constant wherever you go is the Lord's presence. The Lord is always with you. The Lord always hears that. And the Lord even knows your thoughts. So even if you keep it inside, God knows. And even if you uh, try to control what you think, but boy, you've got a bad motive for what you do, and maybe you even do the right thing, but you do it for the wrong reason, guess who's there? The Holy Spirit dwells in you because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what do you think that does? Do you think you're being rewarded with the peace of God when all on the inside you're all torn up and you're all bitter and you're all revengeful and you're angry about your situation? Oh, you smile and say, we have perfect peace and all of that. And uh, you talk about sometimes watching people drive into church and here they are driving in and dad's knuckles are white on the wheel and the kids are crying and mom's just you know turning around in the seat to swat whatever she can swat and then as soon as they get in there and stop the car they get out and plaster a smile on their face and they walk in the building how you doing oh praise god i'm doing great and you're dying on the inside and uh, there are several things wrong with that for one thing it's a lie and uh, the other thing is it robs us of the peace that God wants to give us because we are more concerned with putting on the mask. And as we saw in uh, our lesson this morning, playing the hypocrite to play to what people expect and what they want than we are than really being right with God. And uh, that's what he is speaking of here. The Lord is at hand. I mean, you don't know when the rapture is going to take place. And it might be just about that time you felt really justified in letting that person have it and then you hear the trumpet. Can you imagine? It could be about that time when you really say, I'm not putting up with her saying that anymore. I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. I've put up with this long enough. Or you say, I can't believe that I married this guy. Man, I knew my dad was right. I never should have married him. And uh, about the time you really let him have it and give him a piece of your mind... You hear the trumpet. What if it's about that time that you were so overtaken with lust that somebody makes a pass at you and you give in to it and you're lying in a bed of adultery? Do I need to get more graphic? That ought to do it, right? And you hear the trumpet sounding? Can you imagine what that is going to be like? Because you know there are going to be believers that are caught in that situation. They may have lived for the Lord for decades, but this one time they decide, I've had enough. It's time for me to have a little of my way and my pleasure and all of that. What if that's the time the Lord has Gabriel blow the trumpet? Somebody said not too long ago, I think the way things are going, I don't know when the Lord's going to come, but I've got a good idea that Gabriel's licking his lips right and what if what if but even if that's not the case and even if you die and your body's put in the ground and your soul goes to heaven what is it that's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ will yours be a life that just burns up God gave you everything and he gave you the greatest treasure of heaven in Jesus Christ and he gave you his own spirit so you would always have resources and power for whatever you face and you could be a good testimony for Christ and yet your life ends up being 
70, 80, 90, 100 years of wood, hay, and stubble that just burns up. Can you imagine? Come lay what your life is before the throne of Jesus and that's all you have for Him. And so the Lord is at hand and we forget about the presence of the Lord, who He is and what He has done. In Luke chapter 12 verse 20, there was a man who thought he had plenty of time. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Let's be honest. If the Lord were to come tonight and take us all out of here, what happens to this building? Antichrist is going to get it. What happens to your bank account? The Antichrist is going to get it. What happens to all of that stuff you labored so hard for and were so proud of? The Antichrist is going to get it. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And what if tonight the rapture doesn't take place, but God says it's time for you to come home. You've lived the days allotted for you. But Lord, I wanted another day because I had some things I wanted to get right. Better do it now. Better do it while it's today. Work while it is daylight, Jesus said. Uh, Because you can't work during the night. And our problem is we always are waiting for a better, more opportune time. We think we've got plenty of time. And we don't think about the fact that uh, it could be closer than we think. My dad used to tell people when he would preach, death is just a heartbeat away. And uh, I thought one time for a lot of people, hell is just a heartbeat away. And for other people, your opportunity to serve God may end in a heartbeat. Let that sink in. So serve the Lord and serve Him with gladness. Number four, why don't I have the peace of God? Well, because of worry and because of fear. You ever fear about what's going to happen with the country? You ever fear what's going to happen to your kids or your grandkids? You know, if you're not careful, that stuff can just eat you alive. How are we going to make it? What are we going to do? Well, you've made it all this way. You think God's going to go, well, that's enough. I've run out. I can't help you any further. He's going to take care of you all the way through. Just obey Him and just trust Him or trust and obey if we were going to quote another hymn. And so uh, worry and fear. Notice he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, that's a pretty all-inclusive word, isn't it? He didn't say be anxious where it fits, be anxious where it's reasonable, be anxious where it seems like you have no other choice but to worry about it. He actually says be anxious for nothing. In other words, it's a sin to have anxiety and worry in your life to dominate you because as a believer, you can be set free from that. And here's the antidote. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Let me ask you, how's your prayer life? Is it better than it was 10 years ago? Is it better than it was 20 years ago? Are you growing in your prayer life? Are you spending more time with the Lord? Are you more aware of what He wants and what He desires? Are you more aware that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? Are you you aware that God accomplishes great things through praying people? Have you given up? Have you quit? Have you said it doesn't really matter? Have you fallen back in a doctrinal Uh, Lapse to say, well, if God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, what good does it do for me to pray? Uh, Have you fallen into the idea that your prayer is twisting God's arm and changing him so that he will adapt to what you want and you're trying to do that with a God that changes not and a God that doesn't lie? Or are you becoming more like him through prayer? Is your heart lining up with his 
through prayer. And do you know the heart of God and safely trust in the heart of God? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Everything with thanksgiving. You've already got more than you deserve. Let your request be made known to God. Matthew chapter 6, 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Or why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Have you forgotten how much your father cares for you and how he's promised to take care of you? Have you forgotten about those times in the past where you didn't know how you are going to make it, but you're, you're here today, which means you did make it. God has been so good and faithful to take care of you. Reject worry and reject the fear that comes with it. God is going to take care of you no matter where you are or what your situation is. And so uh, we forget that sometimes. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if he cares for the lilies of the field and the sparrows of the air, of how much more value are you than one of these? Think about that. Jesus didn't die for lilies and he didn't die for sparrows. He died for people like you. Unless your name is Lily, then you can put it in there. But uh, that's one of those wonderful things. And then lastly... We don't have the, I don't have the peace of God because I expect the peace of God in my disobedience. I kind of have the idea that I can live any way that I want, but anytime I tell God I pull the vending machine, I push B7 and I'm supposed to get the candy bar of peace with God and I can munch on it and just go through life. God doesn't work that way. And some of the lack of peace that you are experiencing is the result of sin and God allows you to experience that and to feel that way because that hits your conscience and it reminds you you need to repent and you need to get right with God and you need to trust Him. And the peace of God and the peace of God, when you have these other things in place, then the peace of God, it comes kind of like the dew, just automatically when the conditions are right and it passes all understanding and it guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus and so uh, I say that to just exhort you there's a better way there's a better way but you can't get it just because you want it or just because you twist God's arm or demand it or claim a promise or anything like that you've got to be obedient to the Lord so how are you doing when it comes to your rejoicing how are you doing in the way that you handle trials and unexpected things. Do you blow up and say, well, it just runs in the family? Not anymore. You're a part of God's family now. And uh, how's your prayer life? And are you worried and fearful on things? And uh, are you the kind of person that thinks, I can get right with God anytime I want to. I've got plenty of time in, in that. I'll do it someday. One of these days, I'm going to get that straightened out. And do you think that, the peace of God is just something you can just get anytime you want, like a little kid gets a piece of candy. Is that what you really think? Then my word to you tonight is stop it. Quit it. Change your thinking. Renew your mind and uh, repent. And then you'll find that as you start putting these other things into practice, the peace of God 
as I said earlier, is going to be like the dew. All of a sudden it just shows up. And there it is. And you'll wonder where it came from. You can't explain it. And it doesn't even make any sense. But oh, how sweet that peace really is when you get it from the Lord. So it's not automatic. It's not automatic. It comes as you obey the Lord as a natural result of being obedient to Him. So what do you have to work on? What, what's your homework going to be? What's the first step you're going to take in order to... Uh, obey the scripture here and to have peace with God or are you content to live without it why I hope not I hope not Leonard Ravenhill said the only reason we don't have revival is because we're content without it what a horrible indictment against us and maybe the same thing is true the reason we don't have the peace of God in our life is we're fine We've, we've normalized where we are. It's not real good, but it's, it's just normal. I'm used to it, and uh, we think we can handle it, and that is just not true. So there's, there's the word tonight from the Apostle Paul, and he wants you to have that peace and that joy and that love in your life that comes from God and that makes absolutely no sense to anyone else. Let's confound the world by living the way God told us to live so that His peace can affect every area of our lives for His glory. Okay? Will you pray with me? Father, um, it's easy to talk about this stuff, but it's hard to live it. And uh, to rejoice in the Lord always. None of us in this room have that capability. And we don't want to do it just because we're commanded to do it or we're afraid not to. What we would like is for your spirit to so dominate us and to have the joy of the Lord in our life that we can't help it and that we just rejoice constantly because the spirit of God is producing such joy in our heart. I pray you would get us to that point. But in the meantime, let us just be obedient. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about these things that we've talked about tonight that Paul laid out so clearly, that we would have the confidence, the faith, and the expectation that the anxiety of our heart, the storms of our life are going to calm down and we're going to experience peace like we have never seen it before. Jesus said, I give my peace to you, not as the world gives. And Paul amplifies on that for us. And thank you for that. Thank you for the availability of this peace. Now, Lord, all of us that have peace with God through salvation, may you, by your grace, Grant that we might have the peace of God to guard our hearts and to guard our minds in Christ Jesus. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen.